Father, we do acknowledge our desperate dependence on you. Even, even now, as we said, show us, show us Christ. Open our hearts to receive all that you have for us. As we open your word, Father, we pray that it may feed us and nourish us today and every day. And it's in the precious and holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It is great to be with you here at uh, Christ Fellowship Church here this morning. What a blessing for Delane and I to join you in worship together. And this morning, uh, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Romans uh, 12, verses 1 and 2 with me. And as you're, as you're doing that, I trust that all of you have experienced God's presence in your life this past week. You know, that is what excites me about every Sunday morning, is the fact that as followers of Christ... We have the privilege to be able to come together with this fellowship of believers to celebrate and share with each other where God has been moving and showing his presence in each of our lives this past week. What a precious gift to be a part of Christ's bride, his church, here at Christ Fellowship. Amen? Amen. Please follow along with me as I read from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, in the presence... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start over. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and presentable and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed in this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I memorized uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 in the NIV. And, and now as I read it in the, uh, in the ESV, it, I always tend to struggle just a little bit. So I apologize for that. But again, we, we thank you. Thank you, Father, for your word. Your word is truth. May it bring light and truth and speak to us today. Amen. Well, this morning, as we dig into God's word together and, in, and unpack this short but very powerful scripture passage, I would like for us to more deeply explore the subject of worship. I've titled my, my message this morning, Are We a People of Authentic, Passionate, Christ-Centered Worship? In a while back, I read a short little book written by David Platt. The Radical question, what is Jesus worth to you? 
the author opens the book with this scene in Asia. A room in an ordinary house, dimly lit, all the blinds and the windows closed. Twenty leaders from churches in the region sit quietly in a circle on the floor, their Bibles open. They speak in hushed tones or not at all. Some still glisten with sweat. Others' clothes and shoes are noticeably dusty. They've been walking or riding their bicycles since early morning when they left distant villages to get there. Whenever there is a knock on the door or a suspicious sound drifts in, everyone freezes while a burly, tough-looking man gets up to check things out. These men and women have gathered in secret, arriving intentionally at different times throughout the door not to draw attention. In this country, it is illegal for Christians to come together like this. And if caught, the people here could lose their land, their jobs, their families, and maybe even their lives. David Platt said, I was there in that dimly lit room that day, a visitor from America. As the group started sharing about the difficulties and persecutions they were facing, even death, they looked at one another And then several of them all said at once, we need to pray. Immediately they got down on their knees and with their faces on the floor, they began to cry with muted intensity to God. Their praying was not marked by lofty language, but a heartfelt praise and pleading, oh God, we need you. Jesus, we trust you. In you. Jesus, you are worthy. One after another, they prayed while others wept. Then, about an hour, the room grew silent. The men and women rose from the floor. All around the floor, on the room, uh, all around the room, on the floor where each had play, prayed, David Platt said, I saw puddles of tears. David Platt goes on to say, the brothers and sisters in that Asian country have shown by their sacrifices how much Jesus is worth to them. He's worth everything to them. And as I read and reflected on this encounter, I couldn't help but think that these Christians in Asia that David Platt was describing were a people of authentic passionate, Christ-centered worship. So the important question that we need to address here this morning, does that describe the people of Christ Fellowship Church in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin? Are we a people of authentic, passionate, Christ-centered worship? Let's take a look at our scripture passage again in Romans 12. As we read it again, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing 
you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul has just just concluded in the first 11 chapters of Romans teaching about what God has given believers. Listen to Paul's glorious doxology as he transitions at the end of chapter 11 in verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, as we look at Romans 12, Paul totally shifts gears and begins to state what believers need to give to God. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. The appeal here is to the brothers, those who are already followers of Christ. That therefore is referring back to the doxology in, in Romans 11 that we've already just looked at in verses 33 through 36. And as Paul is shifting gears and transitioning to our passage here this morning, we look at by the mercies of God, which points out God's sovereignty. It is only in his sovereign mercy and grace that any of us are followers of Christ. Jesus tells us in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And again, in John 6, 65, Jesus says, That is why I told you no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And as we look at our passage, at this, this first verse, and we see that it's only by the mercies of God that any of us are followers of Jesus Christ. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are instructed to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We are commanded to present to God our bodies as a living sacrifice. Question I asked was, why our bodies? Because as Christians, our souls already belong to God through salvation. God already has the inner man. He also wants the outer man in which the inner man dwells. Our bodies are not yet redeemed, so they must be continually yielding to God. When we offer our bodies to God, we're saying, God, I'm asking, I'm yielding to you and asking you to take total control of me. And that includes my free time. It includes my finances. It includes my thoughts and attitudes. It includes my marriage, my parenting, my grandparenting. I yield all control to you, all that I have and all that I am. 
This continual yielding is what Paul calls a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Or in some translations, we see reasonable act of worship. Now, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament required the bringing of animal sacrifices for the payment of sin. But this sacrificial system is no longer needed because of the spotless lamb of God. Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice. And he was sacrificed for the payment of our sin in our place. Therefore, we, the redeemed of the Lord, are now commanded to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. What Paul is saying here is that the only acceptable worship for those of us in Jesus Christ is to offer ourselves completely and fully to the Lord. All that we are and all that we have, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The only acceptable worship under the new covenant is the offering of ourselves to God. All of me. I surrender to you, Father, and may it be holy and acceptable to you, God. To be a holy sacrifice is to be completely set apart for God and dedicated to his service. It's not straddling the fence where we have one foot serving God while the other foot is pursuing the things of this world. Those who are dedicated to God are pleasing to him because they are available to participate in his service. They see where God is active, they are active. It is not being set apart, I'm sorry, if we are not being set apart from our old life, we will not be useful to God. It's all about a total commitment to him. It's not because we have to serve him, but because we get to serve him. That's Christ-centered worship. Serving God is the only reasonable way to respond to his mercy and grace, which he has poured out to us. In the title of my message, I've chosen two adjectives describing Christ-centered worship. Authentic and passionate. When you hear the word authentic, what do you think of? For me, I think of genuine, heart-engaging, the real thing, or the real deal. You know, if you're going to have to use your imagination with me here this morning, but imagine that I've got two oranges in my hand. One is authentic, juicy, freshly picked off the tree. The other is one artificial that is, comes from an expensive department store, so you really can't tell the difference between the two. And you're hungry. Which one would you prefer for me to give you now? You're going to be pretty disappointed if I give you the artificial orange and you go to bite into it. But that's exactly the way it is with Christians in our worship to God. If it isn't authentic, if it isn't genuine, God knows who the real deal is. And he knows who's just going through the motions. And for those who are just going through the motions, 
He's not impressed. You know, people, they can be fooled. But God knows how authentic and genuine our worship is to him. So again, I ask, are we a people of authentic, passionate, Christ-centered worship? Let's take a look at the second adjective I've used this morning, passionate. What does it mean to be passionate? As people, we're all passionate about something. Maybe it's our families. Maybe it's our children and their activities. Possibly it's a car or your house or your career. Maybe for some it's sports or hunting or fantasy football. Or maybe for others it's, it's shopping and a desire to look good or a passion to stay physically fit. I've heard it said that if you want to see where one's passion lies, you only need to look at their checkbook or where they spend the majority of their time. Are you and I passionate for the things that God is passionate for? Do we love what God loves and hate what God hates? These adjectives that we're talking about this morning, authentic and passionate, they both point to Christ-centered worship. Why Christ-centered worship? Because as believers, that is what we desire to be, a body of Christ-centered worshipers. Christ-centered worship is not an, object, is not an, an, an adjective describing our worship but instead is a description of who we desire to be, a people of Christ-centered worshipers. I think in recent years, the Western church has brought confusion into what worship really is. For some, when they hear the word worship, they think of our time when we sing praise and worship songs during our Sunday morning service. Others tend to think of the entire Sunday morning as worship service. And as, and as important as both of these are to our Christ-centered worship, there is more to being a Christ-centered worshiper than just coming to church on Sunday morning and singing praise and worship songs. There's so, so much more. Worship isn't just a Sunday morning thing. Worship is a lifestyle. It's a 24-7 365-day-a-year thing. Authentic, passionate, Christ-centered worship is a response to a real encounter with God. Worship is not just part of your life. Worship is your life. And as we worship the Lord and declare the transcendence of God, His greatness is revealed. The more we understand the greatness of God, it builds our confidence in him. It increases our dependence on him. And it increases our fear and reverence to him. Psalm 147.11 the, the Lord delights in those who fear, them, fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. As we worship, our perspective is changed. Our faith is strengthened. And our gratitude overflows. In Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 20, 
we see that there's no better way to exalt God and cast down the enemy than by worshiping God. Worship counteracts fear. It counteracts doubt and discouragement. Worship brings repentance, a softening of the heart. It brings healing and restoration. When we worship God, we declare his worth both individually and corporately. But in order to declare his worth, we must first discover his worth. Everything we do is a response of what God has already done for us. Everything we have comes from him. We, have, we live because God gives us life. We breathe, and that last breath each of us just took is because God gives us breath. We give to others out of the bounty and blessings that he's already given and entrusted to us. And we repent not to earn forgiveness because he's already given forgiveness. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Everything we have comes from God. That is why we worship him out of a deep gratitude for all he has done and given given us. If you could sit down with God and ask him, God, what do you want from me? What do you think God would say? Do you think he would talk about keeping all the rules? Do you think he would talk about making sure you're in church on Sunday morning, following all the rituals? Or in practicing our religion? I don't think so. Romans 12.1 gives us a real strong indication of how God would respond. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God wants you and me completely and fully. As we said earlier, worship starts with the transcendence of God, an understanding of the greatness of God, and then moves to the eminence of God, a nearness, an awe, an intimacy, a fear and reverence of God, a personal love relationship with him. This type of Christ-centered worship will always bring about life transformation and change. This type of Christ-centered worship is what results in community and world change. That is why our worship must be Christ-centered. Paul continues in Romans 12 with verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of what is the will of God what is good and pleasing and acceptable and perfect the world promises pleasure but delivers very little except for those many times that the pleasure the world gives is nothing more than great than short term gratification at a high price tag of much pain 
That much pain comes in the form of pain of debt, pain of addiction, pain of abandonment, pain of unmet expectations. That is why we must receive this firm command that we are not to allow ourselves to be conformed to this world. Too many times in today's world, you can't tell the Christians from the non-Christians. That's because too many Christians have blended in with the world. They've allowed themselves to be conformed to this world. Their passion is the world's entertainment, the world's fashions, the world's vocabulary, the world's music, and many times the world's attitudes, even when these things clearly don't conform to the standards of God's word. The world is Satan's domain, and his ungodly influence is like a virus or a cancer. It spreads uncontrollably when we allow it to infiltrate our lives. But instead, Paul tells us that we should be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The transformed and renewed mind is a mind that is saturated with and controlled by the word of God. It is a mind set on things above and not on earthly things, as we are told in Colossians 3, verse 2. That by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As you and I saturate ourselves with the word of God, our minds are being transformed and we are being made more into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. Becoming more like Christ, desiring to do the will of God. Loving what God loves and hating what God hates. Christ is our supreme example. Everything Jesus did focused on doing his Father's will. If we, go, if we look back to the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he arrived, I mean, just before his arrest, trial, and crucifixion, Jesus said to the Father, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Whatever the prospect of hardship or suffering, Jesus completely trusted his Father. Jesus' life was all about doing his Father's will. He is our supreme example. We see this as Jesus was hanging on the cross. He continued to trust his Father to the very end. His last words, it is finished. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was on the cross where Jesus' work was not only completed, but it was perfected. He accomplished exactly what God intended for him to accomplish on that cross. From birth to death, Jesus' life was all about a total commitment to the Father's will. There has never been a walk of faith like that of Christ. That is why we continuously look to Jesus as our example on our faith journey. He has been there and he knows what you and I are going through. Jesus triumphed over every temptation and trial. Hebrews 12:2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross, despising his shame for you and me. 
You and I are his joy. He loves you and I so much that he came and died for the penalty of our sin so that we might be on a set on a course to meet him face to face one day. When Jesus went to the cross, he endured all that it demanded. Jesus despised the shame and accepted it willingly for the sake of the Father's reward and for the joy of anticipation that this reward brought. Jesus has defeated sin and death and gives you and I, you and me, this same victory. That was his joy and still is. Our joy comes from knowing that he loves us and that we have life in him when we place our faith and trust in his finished work on the cross and life-giving resurrection. Jesus is not only the founder of our faith, but he's also the perfecter of our faith, the one who carries it through to completion. We see this in Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That is why he is so, so worthy of our complete and total worship. The deeper our understanding of God and his love for us, the greater our gratitude. Pastor Jason once shared in one of his sermons just this past year at First Baptist, our worship will only go as high as our understanding of the gospel goes deep. As I realize my deep need for Christ, what a wretched sinner I am and how desperately I need Christ, then I see how rich the cross is to me. Oh, the depths of the riches of his mercy and grace for me. That I am forgiven that I'm declared righteous by the blood shed on the cross by my Savior, Jesus Christ, in his life-giving resurrection. And that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as we thank God for what he, do, what he does, we soon begin to worship him for who he is. And this is not a one-time occurrence. The divine transformation of our minds and wills must be constant because we are continuously being tempted through our humanness. It is imperative that our minds and wills be continually, continuously transformed through God's word and by the Holy Spirit. The result of a transformed mind is a life that does the thing that God declares to be righteous, fitting, and in line with his good acceptable and perfect will that is the goal of the supreme act of spiritual worship i once heard someone say the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing the question for us as followers of christ is what is the main thing and without a doubt for the follower of jesus christ the main thing is worship christ-centered worship no question, evangelism is important. But why do we want to see people get saved? Just so they can have a better life? So they can avoid hell? No, so they can be brought into a right relationship with God, so they can fulfill their eternal destiny to worship Christ. 
That is what man was created for, to worship God. Yes, discipleship is important, but what are we going to teach? We need to teach people the truth about God through his word so that when they worship him, they know who they are worshiping, and they're given the right reasons to worship him. Fellowship and serving are important. But what it is that binds us together and provides the necessary love that causes us to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ, it is our common and collective experience of coming into the presence of God in Christ-centered worship. Several times in Scripture we are exhorted to worship God. 1 Chronicles 16, 29, Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And in Psalm 29, 2, we almost see the identical passage. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Psalm 95, 6, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. In Psalm 99, 5, exalt the Lord our God in worship at his footstool. He is holy. Psalm 100, verse 2, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Jesus himself spoke directly about worship when he answered the temptation put to him by Satan in the wilderness in Matthew 4.10. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus' response, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Friends, our situation and circumstances may be totally different than that group of Christian leaders in Asia that David Platt spoke about in that little book, The Radical Question, What is Jesus Worth to You? Here in America, we have the freedom to openly come together without the fear of persecution, at least for now. But even though our situation and circumstance are not as of that of our Christian brothers and sisters in Asia, May it be said that our worship is every bit as authentic and passionate and Christ-centered. We're told in Philippians 2, 9, and 11, and we sang about it here this morning. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, in every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, a day is coming when all will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. May it be said of the people of Christ Fellowship Church in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, that we are a people of authentic, passionate, Christ-centered worship. Amen? Amen. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, it is so good, so good to come together with this body of believers into your presence. Father, I do pray that uh, that as we reflect upon your word, that we will recognize our desperate, desperate need for you and our need for Christ. To surrender all, to, to die to self, to strip away anything that would that would take away what is rightfully yours, our authentic and passionate Christ-centered worship that, that you are so worthy of. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that we can stand here knowing that we are covered by the blood shed, blood of Christ, and, and you only see us through that righteousness, that same righteousness that you see Christ. Father, I pray that if there are any here this morning that have not come into that relationship where they have surrendered, admitted their need for Christ, repented and turned away from their sin and, and asked you, Jesus, to take control of their lives, that today would be the day that you would remove the scales, that you would remove the blindness and bring them into the light. And those who are here, Father, that, that we would not allow ourselves to, to be beat up knowing that, Jesus, you died for all sins and that there is no condemnation for those in Christ and that we do stand forgiven and we stand righteous. And because of that, we desire to be a body of Christ-centered worshipers that would exalt you, that would magnify you, that would impact your kingdom here in Sun Prairie to the ends of the earth. So have your way among us now. We surrender and we come to you to worship you now. And it's in Christ's name we pray all of these things. Amen.